Welcome to Tell Me More, a podcast series featuring distinguished visitors to Tufts University who share their ideas, discuss their work, and shed light on important topics of the day. Chances are you're familiar with Life is Good, the $100 million lifestyle brand known for its t-shirts, hats, and other accessories that share an optimistic message. But do you know about the company's humble beginnings? The founders almost gave it all up when they had just $78 left to their names. But they didn't. So what made them keep going? The Life is Good backstory, including the origin of the smiling stick figure named Jake that you see on the company's products, is all part of what company president and Tufts graduate Lisa Tanzer shared in her recent conversation with Tufts University's Katie McLeod Strollo. Here, Tanzer emphasizes the importance of knowing what you stand for when it comes to the corporate brand, and she gives essential advice to students and business leaders alike, including the most important lesson she's learned in her career. Let's listen in. Thank you for joining us today, Lisa. You were appointed president of Life is Good in 2016, and before this, you were the company's head of marketing. You've also served on the board of directors of the Life is Good Kids Foundation for more than 20 years. Can you tell us how Life is Good started? And specifically, we would love to hear from you the story behind the name, Why Life is Good. Absolutely. So it's an interesting story. The company was founded by two brothers, Bert and John Jacobs. Right when they graduated from college, they decided that they wanted to make t-shirts. They were artists and t-shirts seemed like a really accessible vehicle for them. So they printed up t-shirts and they took a van and they drove up and down the East Coast. I really think they didn't want to get real jobs and they wanted to stay in colleges because they visited a lot of college campuses and tried to sell their t-shirt designs. And they didn't really have a direction for those designs. They would, they would try different things and they were, as they say in their own words, not mine, they were wildly unsuccessful. And after five years, they were about to give up. They were running out of money. They would sleep in the van most of the time. And then they would go home back home maybe every two or three months. And on the one road trip back, they were talking about, we should probably give this up. We have $78 left. You know, we, we've tried for five years. And the conversation turned to the news. And why is the news so negative? Why is everything that we hear so negative? And they said, well, what would happen maybe if we made T-shirts that had more positive message to them. So after these trips, what they would do is they would go home to their apartment, they would draw, they'd put all their drawings up on the walls, and their friends would come over for a keg party, and they would write little notes about them. And I don't know if you're familiar with Life is Good, but one of our main kind of character is this happy face called Jake. And one of the brothers drew Jake, and one of, somebody else wrote Life is Good, the words Life is Good underneath it. And when they woke up in the morning, you know, their apartment probably looked like a mess because they had had a huge party. A lot of notes were on the Life is Good um, Jake picture that they had up there. And somebody wrote, Hey, this guy's got it all figured out. And they said, Hey, why don't we print up, why don't we print up some shirts that look like this? So they printed up 48 shirts with the, just the Jake face and the words life is good. And they went to Harvard square and they sold them out on the street. They would often go to these street fairs. And what they said happened was that they sold 48 shirts in about 45 minutes. They probably hadn't sell 48 shirts in a month or two months right before and what they noticed is that people from all walks of life, it didn't matter what the demographic was, young people, older people, they said there's Harley guys, conservative teachers, everybody resonated um, to this happy guy face with the words life is good. So they started to produce more and then they went up and down the Cape, you know, tried to go sell to beach shops and the like, and it started to take off. And at first it was really a celebration of life is good and celebrating simple pleasures, but then the brand evolved to be much more than that. 
What is it about the spirit of optimism that's so contagious? What are some examples that you could kind of talk about that you've seen with the power behind optimism? Sure. I mean, it goes back to the founding story of the brand because, like I said, originally it was, let's celebrate this character, Jake, at the beach. Let's celebrate him eating ice cream. Let's celebrate him biking. And the company took off, you know, in those days. They grew to about $3 million. And what something happened was people were starting to write them letters. People would write letters who were facing adversity. Uh, there was two brothers, young brothers. They were 11. They wrote a letter to Bert and John. You know, one was born blind and one was born without a leg. And they said, hey, we wear your shirts every day. We wear them as a celebration to remind us of all the good things we have in the world. Or they would wear, uh, we would get a lot of letters from people who were fighting cancer and who would wear life is good to all of their chemo appointments just to remind them that how, how positive thinking can sort of change their perspective on a day. And I think that's the answer to the question there. It's contagious because if you're using it, you can overcome and look at things a lot differently. So you can either focus on the bad or focus on the good. And optimism provides people with the tools that they need to focus on the good no matter what they're facing. And that is contagious. And I think when you're around somebody who's optimistic or, or hear someone's story who is facing a setback, who's using optimism, you want to embrace more of that yourself. So what started as Simple Pleasures for Life is Good has really grown into a mission-driven company, which is about spreading the power of optimism. And so I actually noticed that you use the hashtag, this is optimism, um, to help elicit photos and moments from your followers who you call the Good Vibe Tribe. And you're getting people sharing, it looks like from around the world, um, you know, photos of them wearing Life is Good uh, t-shirts and other accessories and talking about these moments that are impacting them in a positive way. Um, can you talk a little bit about how you came up with the hashtag, this is optimism, why you chose that to tie that in with the Life is Good brand, and is it working? It goes back to those early stories that I was telling you about. So those two brothers, for example, uh, their names are Nick and Alex, and they got the letter from them. I'm going to guess that was probably in uh, before 2000, right? Maybe the company was Life is Good itself was about five years old. And what happened was in 2015, we did a road trip. It was our 20th anniversary, and we, we upgraded the van that they used to live in. We got an Airstream, and we went across the country to raise money to help kids. But more importantly, we went back and met a lot of the people who have written us letters over the years. And we started to film their stories. And we had never shared these letters. Before those letters were like in a draw, like, you know, business is tough or all this kind of things. Let's read and remember why we're doing what we're doing. But we started to publicly share their stories, videos or blog posts from a lot of people that we've met. And what we found was when we did that, other people wanted to share their stories. Maybe my story can help somebody else. And that's how the hashtag This Is Optimism came about. These people are the faces of optimism. And listen to what they've done. Listen to how they've overcome illnesses, loss of loved ones, loss of jobs. Uh, a young girl wrote us a letter saying, you know, I saw the story about the two brothers who were younger and had disabilities. I was burned in a fire. I have third degree burns all over my body. I don't know a lot of other kids, but I'm sure they're out there who have this. I want to talk to them. So This Is Optimism is a statement of these are the people, right? These are the people who are doing it. And people want to belong too. That's why it's called the Good Vibe Tribe. They want to belong to the tribe. There's a simple way of wearing a Life is Good shirt or hashtagging a picture says, I believe in this philosophy and I want to share a little bit about it. So with the you know other business um, leaders in mind, I'd love to talk a little bit more about the importance of successful branding. Considering the effectiveness of this company's name, when you talk to people looking to start their own company, what are your tips, uh, especially in today's mobile and social media focused world? 
First of all, branding is you need to know what you stand for. So life is good. It's really clear what we stand for. We're standing for the power of optimism. We don't waver from that in anything that we do. So you know, you have to make it simple for the consumer to understand your value proposition. But the, for us, the successful branding is making your customers <laughs> your marketing. So the stories of other people, the things people share, they're marketing for us. They're saying that they're loyal. And it's a lot more authentic coming from people who use the brand than it is coming from us saying, hey, listen, this is how you should be optimistic and this is what you should do and here's the life lessons. If you can make your your consumers or your customers, depending what segment you're in, into the advocates for your brand. Can you tell us a little bit more about your work with the Life is Good Kids Foundation? You have been on the board of directors for more than 20 years and you were one of the founding directors. So what type of work does the foundation do specifically and what will it be doing as it moves into the future? Yeah. Now back up the story a little bit from when I graduated for Tufts because it will help you understand how the Life is Good Kids Foundation came to be. So a friend of mine from high school started a nonprofit called Project Joy. And Project Joy was a local organization that was helping homeless kids find self-esteem and feel good about themselves through the use of play. And at the same time that he was starting that, I became his first board member, honestly, because he legally needed a board and I had a job and, you know, so I decided to help him out. At the same time that we were doing Project Joy, Life is Good was starting and they were starting to get these letters from the people who we talked about, a lot of them young kids who were facing adversity. Uh, the guys from Life is Good, the founders, started to give us money through Project Joy. They wanted to donate, you know, some of their profits. So over the years, Life is Good gave Project Joy uh, a significant amount of funding and then decided, you know what, we don't want to be giving money to different organizations. We actually want to do the work ourselves. So this Project Joy, this local organization that had grown nationally by that point, helping kids overcome poverty, violence, and illness, became the Life is Good Kids Foundation. And at that point, the company decided that they would donate 10% of their net profits to the Life is Good Kids Foundation. Mm -hmm. So the work that we do is very similar. It's aligned. We're helping kids find optimism. We're helping them find joy through relationships with others, through their caregivers, through their teachers, through uh, their hospital workers, if that's the condition that they're in. So the missions are similar. Uh, the delivery is different. Looking back over the course of your career, you have um, experience in product marketing and strategy, having worked at several companies, including Hasbro, PricewaterhouseCoopers, and the Gillette Company. And you've also held executive positions in the entertainment, e-commerce, and education sectors. So given everything that you've accomplished in your career, what would you say is the most important business lesson you've learned so far? Yeah, it's to me, it's don't be afraid to ask for help. You know, you don't know all the answers. So I had a lot of skills coming into this job. I think that were really well suited for the job. And there's definitely things I didn't know. I had never worked in soft goods. I had never worked in apparel. You come in and it, it, if you're willing to ask people, say, you know, I'm, I'm not sure I understand this. Can you explain it to me? And, and get your network both, you know, in the company and outside of the company to you know, kind of check your ego a little bit and seek to learn and understand. When you do that, I feel like the people around you, maybe the people who work on your team or, you know, the people who work throughout the organization, then they're not afraid to ask for help and not afraid to say, I don't know all the answers here. And uh, that, that saved me a lot of times. I have a lot of people who I can call on, but I also see in our company now that that's the culture that people have and you make a lot less mistakes that way. You mentioned Tufts earlier, and you're a 1989 graduate of the university. And so I'm sure this advice that you just mentioned um, will certainly help students. But is there any other advice that you'd like to offer for students who are really thinking hard about how they can get into um, the job market and start their careers? 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, you can't go the traditional route. If you want something, you need to really go for what you want. You know, I my dad's friend told me I should do management consulting. I really didn't know what that was, but it sounded good. He said you can learn a lot of, about a lot of different businesses. And I applied to two places on campus. Uh, they had these case study interviews that were super complicated. I did not understand them. And so I, I wasn't prepared. Mm-hmm. And then I was very persistent. I applied um it was a yellow pages at the time, no internet, applied to all the consulting firms that were in the yellow pages and they all rejected me because there was no jobs except for one, which was Coopers and Library, now PricewaterhouseCoopers. Mm-hmm. And I called that woman every three months. I'm like, hey, here I am. And finally, she's like, come in. I don't think we have a job for you. We can send you back to be an accountant. And then it occurred to her, she's like, gosh, we keep one junior researcher on our strategy team. They, they're going to need someone. She's going to business school. And that's how I got that job. And I think if you want something, you know, don't be uh, overly you know, aggressive, but, you know, go for what you want. Make people know you. Network your way in. And I think the power of relationships is critical. I developed a relationship with the recruiter there over a course of nine months. I didn't take her first rejection as a no so that we, we got to know each other so that when an opportunity came up, you know, I was top of mind with her. So I think you need to develop authentic relationships. You know, don't use somebody just because they can help you in the moment, but over the course of your career and the course of your job searches, you know, develop a true connection with people. What about for young women? You know, what advice can you share with women who are really looking up to you and hoping to become business leaders themselves? I mean, my advice to women would be this the same as my advice to men. So I don't think it's any different. Be yourself. Be courageous. Be curious. Be the person who goes and asks questions or takes on the extra assignment that really seeks to learn and develop good relationships. I mean, whether you're male or female, those are kind of the core, the core skills. Now, some women might say, Oh, I need to act more like a man. No, just be, be who you are and who you are will kind of lead you down that path. Thank you so much. It really has been such a pleasure speaking with you today, Lisa. We're very grateful for your time and we just want to thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Tell Me More. Please subscribe and rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. We'd also welcome your thoughts on the series. You can reach us at tellmemore at tufts.edu. That's T-U-F-T-S dot E-D-U. Tell Me More is produced by Katie McLeod Strollo, Stefan Hacker, and Dave Nusher. This episode was edited by Anna Miller. Web production and editing support provided by Taylor McNeil. Special thanks to the Tufts Alumni Boston Business Leadership Series. Our theme music is sourced from DeWolf Music, and my name is Patrick Collins. Until next time, be well. <laughs>